Um, there is a lot going on in our church. I was just looking at some of the stuff and making note of it. We had an amazing collision night this past Wednesday night where we were here just worshiping God. Wasn't that good? I love it. It was loud. I was blown back, but it was all for Jesus. The guys on the stage said there was 640 people stuffed into this building. And it was so loud. They had to turn up their stuff so loud. They were just going kind of deaf on it. They were just going for it. We don't even know. We can't even hear ourselves. But we're just loving Jesus and we're praising. And that was good. And I, I want you guys to know that when we do collision and worship nights and stuff like that, it's not just, oh, it's a big fun show. People's lives are changing in the midst of encountering God like that. Like we say, you're colliding with God in all of his glory and you're just giving him all. People are walking out of here like in tears. People are writing emails and sending stuff just telling us like, I didn't think that going to like a worship night could change my life the way that that did. When I let it all out, God came in and spoke to me. And people were saying, like I heard a testimony from Pastor Tom that someone wrote, and I don't even know who it was. They said, they came to Collision and they just said, I've never experienced anything like that. I met the Holy Spirit or whatever. I came in there not knowing most of those songs. And she said she just began to worship this person. And, and I didn't even catch the name. Tom was just sharing the testimony. And they were closing their eyes and raising their hands. And they knew all the words. And they were singing along. And they're like, some of those songs I'd never even heard before. But somehow I was singing along. And they walked out of there going, that was the weirdest thing that has ever happened to me in my life. But it was one of the best things that's ever happened. I was singing songs that I didn't even know. And can we just give an amen to the Holy Spirit on that one? He does that kind of stuff, right? So God is moving. We had collision. We had the baptism. The baptism was so cool because part of the thing about the baptism is when you have like, how many people do we have? There was like 400 people on the beach from our church or something like that. There was a lot. And 43 getting baptized. The rest of the beach takes notice. Amen. If you're at Kalama Beach, you know that if something that big is happening, you're like, well, is there a fight? Is there, you know, what's going on? Did someone like get bit by a shark? Like what? So everybody comes running over, right? And you know what's so cool is all of our people are just going, hey, how's it going? And just like kind of bringing them in and like sharing Jesus. What is this? Oh, it's a baptism. We're from Hope Chapel. Yeah, we love God. And I saw all of this. I think my wife was saying that she saw um, three guys from some other party with their beers in hand coming and checking out like our young, godly, beautiful young women there, right? In their bathing suits. And some guys from another party are like, hey, what's going on? And they start going, they start looking, and they start watching, and they go, oh, whoa, it's not that kind of party, right? They kind of like sneak back away. But you could just see our people reaching out to people on the beach and just going, we love Jesus, and that's why we're here, and let's let the world know. And so God's doing good stuff. Um, we had the Convoy of Hope. Anybody involved with that yesterday? Day of Compassion uh, down at, at Kailua, the field, right? I didn't make it. I was at church council meeting, but I heard there was a lot of good stuff going on there, just people praying for other people, loving the community, hooking them up with uh, food and resources and all this stuff. And it's just good to be a part of, the, the part of what God's doing. The Tohoku Homestay kids are here. There's 10 of them, the young girls, and they're fired up. One of them already goes to church. Uh, one of them just got saved right before she came here. So she's just like wide open and really excited. And then the other ones, you can just tell they're, they're hungry, they're interested, they're watching, they're learning. They're just, they're overwhelmed. I watch them with the love of their homestay people, with the love of the staff, with all of the, the folks, the, the kids and the people that are just touring them all around. And then just coming to church and seeing all of you guys, they're just like, like a kid in a candy store. They just don't even know what to do. They're so excited. So we, we got to remember we have an awesome opportunity to reach out to these girls and that we could give them Jesus and show them just with our lives, Jesus. You might not even talk to them, but just the way that you're, you're loving and being around them and welcoming them, we, we could do big things with these, these girls here. So remember that. And if you want to continue to give to that, please do. Or if, or if maybe you're someone that says like, 
you know what, I work at a restaurant and I can fully get a group rate or a deal if they want to come to my restaurant. We've had people give us like water park tickets for them or bless them with little like trinkets or things like that. Anything that you do is just going to pour into showing those people love and pushing them towards Jesus. So if you got any connections like that, let us know. Let Pastor Rob know. That would be really good. Um, I want to show you guys uh, a, another praise report. Some of you guys know that we're part of the Foursquare denomination of churches. And us, the Hope Chapels in Hawaii, and the New Hopes also in, Hope, in Hawaii, we're all together in this, this denomination called Foursquare. That's um, a, a denomination across America, around the world. We're a really big missions-oriented um, denomination. But anyway, we, um, I went to a convention a couple months back, and they showed us this video. And this video is some statistics on what God is uniquely doing in Hawaii that he's not doing in all the other uh, states on the mainland. And, and they showed it to the rest of the convention to inspire everybody else in the U.S. Foursquare churches to say, look what could be possible in your state because look what God is doing in Hawaii. I wanted to show it to you guys because I was so blessed to see it at convention. But you guys need to get encouraged and inspired to realize you're part of a move of, of God that's unique to Hawaii that the other states are looking at us. God is doing big things in Hawaii. Now, it's not just the four square churches that God is blessing. Obviously, we're not trying to say that. God is doing amazing things at all the other churches in Hawaii too. But we've had a pretty big uh, part and a hand to play in what's going on in Hawaii and in the world because of it. So you guys got time for a quick five-minute video? Okay, watch this, and I hope you are as encouraged as I am. Take a look at our screens. I believe God's moving in a greater way in Hawaii um, than, than I've seen ever before. We've always experienced incremental growth, 20%, 30% a year, but then what we experienced in the last three years is phenomenal. I've heard of exponential growth, I never had it until about three years ago. We are the fastest growing denomination in, in Hawaii. 5% of the population in Hawaii attend a Foursquare church. We are the only state that is the Christian population is growing faster than the regular population. According to the 1853 census, 96% of the people of Hawaii claimed to be Christians. There was a huge revival here. You had the vast majority, king and commoner alike, here in the islands, were Christians. Unfortunately, it came to a screeching halt when the monarchy was overthrown and some of the church fell apart. Until about 1985, the evangelical church in Hawaii really wasn't doing a whole lot. That's maybe why God raised up people like Wayne and Ralph and sent them here to reignite, to serve as catalysts for what he had started a long time ago. When people talk about being cross-cultural, to us that's natural. We already grew up in that kind of an environment where Filipinos and Samoans and Hawaiians and Caucasians and Japanese and Chinese all blend together very, very well. And the great thing about the diversity in Hawaii is the different philosophies behind those diversities. I don't know any other place that um, has brought people together in such a, a healthy way. Because I can see things, let's say, in Los Angeles, there's so many people from different cultures, but they're all in silos. Here, they're all mixed together. It creates an, a culture of understanding, very cross-cultural. The philosophy of, you're different, I want to learn what you do. What can we help you with? What do you like about what we do that could help your ministry and your church and for you to reach more lost people? Because that's what it all comes down to. Ralph is different from me and the way that we approach ministry is different. But here's the cool thing. We both have the same goal in mind. 
to reach lost people, to disciple them into leaders, and then send those leaders out to do the very same thing we've been doing. And if you think that you can do it all in one generation, you don't have a big enough scope of what God wants to do. My son has just become the lead pastor of the church. Since my son and, and the crew kind of came on board, we've grown 50%. That tells me a world about that you got to have younger guys that are coming up to understand the world that they live in. The neat thing is I see Carl Moore, Ralph's son, and my son Aaron. And so when you see your own sons in ministry and doing well, you know something's going well. The baton has been passed well. Ralph's son, Carl, and I were great friends. We grew up um, surfing together and hanging out in Bible college. And there's just a wonderful uh, kind of a unifying thing happening, uh, not just with the you know, Hope Chapel, but I think just the Capital C Church in Hawaii. It's great that they are actually expecting us to take it farther and cheering us on and allowing us the freedom. There's freedom for expression. There's freedom to add on. There's freedom to bring in more components and change. And that's what the church has to be. It has to change. It can't be the same that it was 25 years ago. It's got to grow from that. We stand on a pretty solid foundation laid down by my, my dad, by Wayne, by all those that have gone before us. They've, they've really built something for us to kind of jump up on that platform and take from there. Tons of churches are getting started. We're really big on multiplication and building disciples. God is behind us and we got something going here. But again, we also don't want to just keep it to Hawaii. I know our church and many of the churches are thinking globally. People are being sent and missionaries are rising up. God's doing a new thing here and it's exciting just to be a part of. Isn't that neat? That's good, huh? It's unique to Hawaii to just to stop and think of what God is doing here because it's special. Did you? I don't know if you caught when Corey Grinder said that the Christian population is growing faster than the birth rate population in Hawaii. Did you catch that? That's amazing that there's more Christians every day coming, people coming to know Jesus than there are people being born in this state. That's phenomenal. We need to remember that. We need to stand with pride on that. When we pray, when we go out there, when we share the word, we need to realize we're a part of a move of God. There's something special that's happening. And so we all got to, I, I believe we say this too often, you just got to show up. I, I don't think so. I think you show up, but you got to step up. It's not just enough to show up because that, that could lead to complacency. I'm a Christian, I'm here. I think we got to step up and really go, God, I'm here but I'm available to do more. Like, show me, God. We're moving places. We're on a team that is winning, and we just, let's not stop there. Let's see how far we can go. Because why? Because not everybody in Hawaii knows Jesus yet. We're doing a good work, but they don't all know. The world doesn't know, so we got stuff to do. But isn't that cool just to know that you're a part of something that's bigger and that God is moving? I'm excited about that. Well, I want to, um, we're jumping into <clears throat> the second letter uh, to the Corinthian church today that we have on record in scripture. It's uh, the letter to the second Corinthians. We just finished first Corinthians and now we're straight back to it. It's like kind of like, we, yay, we're done. Paul wrote the letter and now it's kind of like Paul's going, I'm back. You know, I got, I got more to say. And so I want to, um, as we go through the letter of second Corinthians, Paul's letters to the Corinthian church, I want to just bring you up to speed a little bit on the history and the background of Paul in the Corinthian church. So you guys get a better understanding. You're not just going, this is some guy Paul writing letters to some church, right? I want you to understand a little bit of his history with them. So we're going to take a couple minutes real quickly. I want to show you some, some statistics about 
Paul, it's a little historical deal. So if we got those, here's an overview of Paul and his relationship with the Corinthian church. Okay, just so you guys can kind of see where we're coming from. The first visit of Paul to Corinth <clears throat> was in AD 51, where he'd been sent out from Jerusalem. He met with he met with the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, his whole conversion experience on the road to Damascus, blinded, spoken to, Paul, you're going to be my representative to the nation. So he goes out on missionary journeys. He goes to Corinth, he stays for 18 months, and he starts a church, he starts a ministry, he brings everybody to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, they're all doing really good. And then he goes back to Jerusalem, he goes on to the town of Ephesus where he stays for three years in approximately AD 53, 55. He first shows up at Corinth. It's about 20 years after Jesus had ascended back to heaven, right? So the church is about 20 years old. So then he's in Ephesus. He's there for three years. He writes a previous letter. This previous letter is one that we don't have any record of. We don't have any historical evidence of. The letter that we read in 1 Corinthians, that's actually the second letter that he ever wrote to the church. So he writes a previous letter to this church at Corinth while he's staying in Ephesus just to encourage them. He hears some reports about them. Uh, in, in the next part, it says he hears reports from the Corinthian church. So he had written this letter. He had he heard that that letter didn't have much of an effect. So then he writes 1 Corinthians in AD 55 from Ephesus, which is what we just finished up last week. It's a long letter. And he's going, man, you guys got off track. You lost the heart of Jesus. You're like taking in all these other religions. You're bickering with each other. You don't know how to deal with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. What's going on? So Paul writes last week's letter that we finished, 1 Corinthians. Then go to the next slide here. He sends Timothy to Corinth. You guys remember the last, last part of the letter last week, how he goes, hey, I'm sending Timothy to you. Don't intimidate him. You guys remember that part? Does that sound familiar? He goes, Timothy is a young brother. He's on the team. He's my disciple. I'm sending him to you. Be nice to him. Treat him with sincerity, with love, with, with relational uh, just, just camaraderie. He's on the team. Sends Timothy to Corinth to see how everybody's doing. Apparently what happened was Timothy came back and he said, they're not doing so good, Paul. They're not doing as well as you thought. So Paul now makes his second visit to Corinth, and it's a painful visit. He refers to that in his letters. He goes, I'm sorry I had to come. It was a tearful visit for me. It hurt because you guys aren't acting like you should be. And it was a rough one for him because he loves these people. So then Titus now delivers another letter that Paul writes. After he'd visited them, he was bummed. And he writes this severe letter that's mentioned in the books. And he goes, I'm having to write a really heavy one now that's going to scold you guys, that really I need to write something. And so he goes, Titus, can you deliver this to them? So then Paul's waiting in Ephesus to hear from Titus. He decides to go up north to Macedonia to try to find Titus to say, how did the letter go? So he leaves Ephesus. He meets Titus in Macedonia. And he actually hears this from Titus. Hey, things went pretty good. A lot of the people bought into it. Paul, you should encourage a lot of them. They did change their ways. However, there's a few people that are still kind of suspicious of you. They accepted the gospel message, but some of them are criticizing you, Paul. They're kind of going, who's this guy? Paul thinks he's an apostle. He thinks he's this, he's that. Who, who's he to talk to us? And so what happens then, Paul is in Macedonia, and now he writes this 2 Corinthians, which is actually letter number 4. He writes this letter because 1 Corinthians was from a very practical standpoint. I'm going to give you, here's how you do church, here's what you do, here's how you do stuff. And now this one, Paul is going, you know what, it sounds like I need to defend myself a little bit. I want these people to know that it's from my personal experience, my relationship with Jesus, my love for them that I'm writing. So if you guys are taking notes, 1 Corinthians that we read last week, practical instruction. 2 Corinthians, what we're getting into now, 
personal letter from Paul's heart saying, this is me, this is my experience, this is what I have to offer you. I'm, I'm, the practical stuff, it worked pretty good, but some of you guys aren't convinced. Let me just tell you my personal experience, right? And so we know that Paul writes this letter and we realize ultimately that it was a success, that Paul visits Corinth a third time afterwards where he actually stays and he ends up writing the book of Romans, the letter to the Roman church. And so we find no further evidence that there was any more problems in the church at Corinth because the letters and Paul's visits, everything worked out and the church of Corinth got back on track and they, they did what they were supposed to do. But here's the interesting thing about as we get into 2 Corinthians um, today, the book, is that what it took in any good ministry, and I think in talking to anybody, is starting up ministries, all that God's doing in Hawaii, it takes a lot of practical instruction. It takes a lot of, let's do the stuff that we're called to do, that God has commanded us to do. But I believe it also takes personal relationships. In all of our lives, I think what Paul is kind of, just kind of putting the stamp of approval on here is saying, it also takes that personal relationship with other people. And it reminds us that the greatest I guess tool you could say or weapon against the enemy that we actually have is our personal testimony. Would you guys agree that, that some of you guys are like, man, I don't know enough verses in the Bible and I want to argue with my friends and sometimes they argue me and they confuse me in my faith and all of this stuff. But you know what the best thing you got going for you is? Personal experience because no one can argue with personal experience, right? If you say, look, I was, I was broken and I was healed, no one's going to say, oh, no, you weren't. I'm telling you my story. I know it intimately because it happened to me. No, you're lying. Let me prove to you why you're wrong. No one can argue with you when you know that it happened to you. And so here's Paul writing this letter now to the Corinthians saying, guys, you didn't believe everything I had to say before. Let me tell you my personal experience. And so what we're going to get today is three topics that Paul is going to talk to us about. And I want you to write this down. It's three words that start with the letter C. And I'm so bummed that God gave this to me after I already wrote the notes. And I'm going, this would have been so good for the sermon title. Thanks for giving it to me late, God. Darn. Right? But anyways, that happens sometimes. But here's what I want you to catch in this thing. There's three things Paul's talking about today. He's talking about his calling. The first point where you see it says fulfilling God's purpose. He's talking secondly about comfort. God's comfort. And the comfort that he has experienced in his life. And the third thing, he's talking about godly conduct. That that's talking about personal integrity. So Paul today is going to be saying, you know what, guys, here's what I want you to do, but let me just tell you from my personal heart, my experience, why I know this to be true. And when you go talk to your friends and your family and people about God, and they're going, well, why should I believe, and why should this and that? You can say, you know what, because it happened to me. And I'm telling you from personal experience, God is good. God is real. The Holy Spirit, yes, there is a ghost in the Bible, the Holy Ghost. And He is good, and He empowers me in my life. Let me share you from my personal standpoint. So this is the, the angle that Paul is taking in 2 Corinthians. So if you guys would um, join with me in reading, let's check out first, or 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1. In verse 1, it starts off, he says, This letter is from Paul. He's introducing himself. Chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and from our brother Timothy. He's saying, hey, here's me and Timothy. We're writing to you guys. I'm writing to God's church in Corinth and to all of his holy people throughout Greece. May God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. But here's the one thing that in a lot of Paul's intros, we skip right over. We read this and we go, okay, he's just introducing himself before he gets into the real meat of the, of the letter. Here's what I want you to make note of in the very first line where he says, this letter's from Paul, this word's right here. Chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. It says in the message version that Paul was, this is Paul sent on a special mission 
by Jesus. Here's what I want you to make note of and what I want to talk about really quickly is Paul knew his personal calling. Paul knew his purpose. He comes right out and he introduces himself. He doesn't say, hey, it's me, Paul, a brother in Jesus writing to you guys. Paul says right out, I am chosen by the will of God to be an apostle. An apostle means one who is sent out. Paul knew his place. He knew his calling. He knew his position. The purpose that I am here on this planet, God has revealed to me, is that I would go out and be sent out of here and to go around and to start different ministries. Paul knew what he was called to do. In Acts 9, verse 15, as he's telling his story, it says, But the Lord said, Go, for Saul, which was his name before he got called Paul, is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as to the people of Israel. Paul knew what God had chosen for him. He knew his calling. Here's a question I want you to write in your notes. What is my calling? What is my purpose? How am I created to be on planet earth to glorify God? Some of us may know our calling already and we feel like for me, I can stand secure and say, I know what I'm supposed to do here on this, on this planet, what God has called me to do. And it took a long time process of God building it into me and showing it and revealing me. I know that I'm called to be a pastor of this church. I know that I'm called to preach the word of God. I don't think I'm the best at it. I think that there's lots of room for improvement, but I know what I'm supposed to do. So I'm going to work hard at being the best that I can possibly be. I know without a doubt God's revealed it to me. It took a while for me to get there, but I believe the calling was on my life for a long time, and I had to kind of pray into it and kind of own up to it and accept that God had that calling on my life. There's times in my life when I lay in bed at night after a rough week, <clears throat> after I'm having to deal with people, because my whole job is people, right? It's not like I can just fill out paperwork and go home and just leave it at, at the office. A lot of times it's like, it's prayers, it's spiritual, it's emotional, it's like always a different circumstance. It makes my job never boring and quite fulfilling, but sometimes it's really frustrating and stressing and it's, it's hard. And you get, you get things like hurtful situations or people falling away from God and ruining their lives or you get gossip, you get slander, you get all kind of stuff. And there's times when I lay in my bed at night and I just go, oh God, I wonder if I'd be a pretty good realtor. I think I might be. Hmm, what else could I do? I used to be an auto detailer. Maybe I could start my own business auto detailing again. And there's times when I really start thinking about that. But in all my whining and complaining, and once my pity party is over and I'm laying there, and God just speaks and he goes, you know you're doing what you're supposed to do. I've called you to do what you're supposed to do. And I grudgingly admit it. Okay, God, you're right. Sorry. I just had to take my little, like, my little wine and a little cheese with my wine, you know, and just whine to you a little bit and complain. But, but ultimately, deep down, I know that this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And I still get the fear and trembling of the Lord preparing sermons and coming up to speak before you guys every week, which, to be honest, I think it's a good thing because it keeps you humble, you know? It's all your power, God. It's not me alone. But I understand what my calling is. And the question is, Paul, he's blatantly saying, I know my calling. I am chosen by the will of God. If you think about it, that's a pretty bold statement to say. If he didn't realize that that was really true in his life, he would just come off sounding like some guy bragging or something. But he knew and he walked in his role. And I want to ask you guys to learn to discover what your calling is in life and your purpose and your place. And it may not be something like a pastor, a missionary, a, a Bible study leader. It might be though. But it might just be that God is saying, on your job as a mechanic, you're going to shine the love of the Lord and the light of Jesus Christ brighter than any mechanic around in town. And you're going to do your best at glorifying me and honoring me. And I have actually called you to stay where you're at as a mechanic, but you just do it all into the glory of God and you bless other people. It may just be nothing more than that. It may be that your calling is, God, I do my job and I do all of this. And I provide for my family. What's my calling? And God's going, it's that one person that you're called to reach. 
You know the little saying that we say, each one reach one. That we should all have someone that we're focused on because that's our calling. I, I, I always am so blessed and amazed that there's one, one of my brothers, one of my good friends in this service actually, that every single week in the prayer request, he is on a mission, the same exact calling, the same exact purpose. I'm praying for the salvation of my brother. I'm praying for the salvation of my brother. I got a chance to talk to him. I think he's close. Oh, pray for him. He's, he's getting a little farther away today. I, every prayer request that comes in, there's other things he prays about, but the main thing that he prays about, which I love, is the focus. And part of this guy's calling, he knows, is his brother needs salvation. But you guys understand that once you understand your calling and you embrace it, you can do incredible things. And it doesn't have to be in some crazy ministry position. It can just be that you've got the gift of hospitality. You know, there's someone that came to me last week after the sermon, bawling. The Holy Spirit was moving all over. I don't know my calling. I used to be more generous. I want to be more generous. And, and I want to do this. And I want to do that. And oh, God's moving in me. And this is, it feels good. But it's like, I want to do something. What's my calling? And I'm like, wait, wait, you totally are gifted. You're totally being a blessing to the body. No, I'm not. What am I doing? And, and I had to talk to this one woman. I said, you open up your house on a daily basis to all of the young 20-somethings in our church. It's like the headquarters, the hangout place. You're allowing them to do Bible studies, to do parties in your house, to do ministry, to have many churches. You're cooking incredible food for them. You're allowing people from Japan to come and homestay and all this stuff. And here's this woman going, I do? I'm like, you have the gift of hospitality. You are operating in your gift. Do it even more for the glory of God. She's like, more tears, like, oh my gosh. And she's beginning to discover what God has created her to do. And the other person that keeps on telling me yes and amen over here is created the same way, Auntie Ludi right here. If you guys know the history in this church, the Landeza household was basically the headquarters for the youth ministry, for the college ministry. There wasn't like a day that went by that I wasn't stopping at that house, right? Because they were just opening it up to ministry all the time. One of the callings I fully recognize in the Landeza household is a gift of hospitality. And they basically built a generation, grew up in the Landeza household. But what is your calling? What is the gifting that God's got in you? Because I know that a lot of you guys, like that woman that was coming to me crying, God had already been showing her her calling and her gifting. She'd been using it. But here's the thing. The devil wants to blind you to your calling. He wants to blind you to your giftings. He wants to deceive you into thinking, I don't got anything to offer. Who am I? What's going on? The reason is if he blinds you and he keeps you down, then you're not going to be able to bring glory to God. And imagine the power that we would have if we all began to discover what we're called to, what we're good at, and we took off the blinders and we walked boldly like Paul. I'm chosen for this. And I'm going to do this the best I can. It may not be the best in the world, but I'm going to do it the best I can for God's glory, and he's going to make me better. Imagine a church unleashed, walking fully in 100% in our calling, knowing what we're called to do. The devil would be cringing in fear, right? Because here we are taking on the world. Are you guys excited about this stuff? I mean, this is amazing to think about, but start praying. Here's the, here's the thing we need to do. Some of us don't know our calling. Start praying into it. God, take the blinders off me. Show me what I'm already doing, possibly. Or show me that what I could be someday. What have you called me to? Because sometimes it's a waiting process. God will give you the calling and you don't even get there for a while. The other thing is ask your friends. Hey, you guys know me well. What do you think I'm good at? See, it took that lady that was in tears. It took someone else that just watched her life to come in and say, you're amazing at this. Keep doing this. And suddenly she went, oh my gosh, I am. Thank you. Ask your friends, what do you guys think I'm good at? What, what would you say about me, that I, how I honor the Lord with my life? Can you tell me? I need some help here because I'm blinded to it. Ask your friends. Ask God. God will reveal it. Sometimes there's a waiting process. King David, for instance, he was about 15 years old, 
right? When the prophet Samuel came over and anointed him as king of Israel. You guys remember this? You read back in 1 Samuel 16. This is what happened. And God said, I'm tired of the king that's currently in there. This is not the man I've chosen for the job anymore. I want someone who's going to honor me who I will choose to be king. Uses the words in scripture, I will choose, right? So he sends Samuel to the house of Jesse and he goes, among his sons, you're going to anoint one of them to be the next king of all of Israel, of Judah and Israel combined. And so Samuel goes over there and he sees the first oldest son, tall, young, good looking guy, right? Strong guy. And, and he goes, oh, this has got to be the guy. Oh, God, you want me to anoint this guy? Definitely. This is king material right here. And God goes, no, that is not the one I have chosen. Specifically use the words chosen. Nope, I, didn't, I have not chosen him. And so he goes, well, okay, let's see who's next over here, right? This guy's pretty good looking. No, he's a good second. Is this the guy? No, that's not the guy. They go through seven brothers. Remember the story? And, and God just keeps going, that's not the one I've chosen. That's not the one I've chosen. That's not, who else? And, and the prophet's going, is there anybody else in the household? I know that God told me it's going to be out of this household. It's one of your sons. And they go, well, there's a little kid brother, the scrub. He's over and taking care of the sheep, you know, like that little guy, right? And he goes, well, bring him out, right? And David shows up. He was a fine, young, ruddy looking, right? He uses the word ruddy, which is a weird term, right? He was a ruddy, good looking young man. He's about 15 years old. And they go, this is the one God has chosen. God chooses him, gives him his calling at 15 years old. But did you know that from, from that day when he was anointed to be king of Israel, by the time he actually became the king of all of Israel, he had to wait 22 years. 22 years knowing his calling and continuing to work towards that, knowing that he's not in the full role of it, but he embraced it. And he said, you know what? If God's going to make me king, he's got his hand on me. I'm willing to take on a giant. Let's go, right? I'm willing to, even though I'm, I become the king's armor bearer and his personal harpist to calm him down, and he's throwing spears at me because he gets into a rage every once in a while. He's trying to kill me. David said, I, I know my calling. I'm going to keep on going. And he's hiding out in caves because the king's trying to kill him because he's jealous of him. He's leading his, his band of bandits and thieves and all this, but he's learning to lead. He's learning to be a king. He keeps pushing on. He keeps holding on to God because he knows his calling. And then what happened 22 years later? He becomes the greatest king of Israel. It says in one place, he was a man after my own heart, God says. That's incredible. What's your calling? It may be lying dormant. It may be that you're getting a taste of it. It may be that God's called you to something that seems so far beyond you. And what I'm saying is recognize it, hold on to it, and go 100% for God's glory in that calling. Amen? Is that making sense to you? I hope it, and it excites you. It pushes you a little bit. And then secondly, here he goes. He talks about the comfort of God. And I love this. This is Paul, again, speaking personal experience. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father, the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort others. Um, when they are troubled, they will be able to give them the, we will be able to give them the same comfort that God has given us. For the more we suffer for, for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. Even when we are weighed down with troubles, it is for your comfort and salvation. For when we ourselves are comforted, we will certainly comfort you. Then you can patiently endure the same things that we suffer. We are confident that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in the comfort that God gives us. There's a few things that he's saying that's really interesting here. One of the first things he's basically saying is, if you want to experience God's comfort, you have to expect hard times. You have to expect that this world isn't going to be perfect for you. Jesus promised that many times. Hey, they persecuted me. They're going to persecute you. It's going to be hard to be a Christian. If it was easy, everyone would do it but it takes work. 
It takes understanding that this world is a fallen place and life is going to get tough sometimes. But the only way that any one of us in this room will ever experience the miraculous comfort of God is when we are at the lowest times in our life when we need his comfort. Amen? It's impossible to comfort someone that's already comfortable, right? If you got everything going on in your life and you're a rich person, your family is perfect and you got everything you could desire and you're kicking back in your recliner with your big screen TV and someone comes along and goes, hey, can I just encourage you and comfort you? You're like, why? I got everything I need. I'm fine, right? The only way you get to experience the miraculous power of God's comfort in your life is when you need it the most. And when you're broken down and you're hurting and the world's got you overwhelmed and you're crushed and you're like, oh my gosh, I need you, God. Where are you? That's when you experience God's comfort. So number one, he's saying, expect that life isn't going to be that easy. John 16, Jesus said this, here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. He makes a promise. It's not going to be the easiest, but that's when you're going to experience the best of God is when you need it the most. So don't run away from those hard times. Don't blame God for those hard times, but embrace it as an opportunity to say, God, this is where I need your comfort to come on in. Here's where I'm counting on the miracle. And God will come in. He doesn't cause the trouble, but he allows it. Sometimes the amazing thing, and I think this is more of a miracle. I think that if I pray to God and I'm in a hard time, God, I'm hurting, help, take, take it away. He takes the, the pain or whatever sufferings in my life away. Then it's so easy, it's an automatic result for me to go, wow, awesome. God, that was easy. Now I don't have to deal with this anymore. But the true miracle comes when you're still going through the doo-doo in your life. And God comes in and he changes your mind and your heart and your perspective. And suddenly your eyes are lifted up. You're full of joy. You're refreshed. You're praising him. You have peace. And you look around you and the situation hasn't changed at all. You're still in the hardship. And yet you can walk through it going, but God has given me comfort. This is amazing. He didn't take it away. That would have been a no-brainer. The fact that he allowed me to go through it but he's given me this miraculous feeling of comfort and refreshment and joy. That is a true miracle of God. Amen? Some of you guys have been there before. You've been in that position where you're crushed, you're overwhelmed, you're defeated, and all you have left is to just call upon God. I believe that he comes through in the midst of our, our problems. What baptism and collision did for some people this past weekend was they were having a hard week, and I heard this testimony a lot. Man, I was having a rough week. I was hurting. I was going through this. But I went and I saw 43 people get baptized. Or I went to collision. I gave glory to God. And you know what? The rest of my week has been incredible. Oh, did all that stuff go away in your life? No. But God lifted me above the situation, brought me comfort in the midst of what I was going through. And the miracle is I'm still going through that stuff, but I'm happy. Praise God. And I'm sharing with other people. This is the kind of comfort that we can expect. There's a verse in Zephaniah 317 that I want you to read. When's the last time you were in the book of Zephaniah? Anyone? Zephaniah. But there's, a, there's nuggets. There's good stuff in here. Look at this verse. For the Lord your God is living among you. What it actually says in another text is he is in your midst. That means he is in the middle of your problems. The Lord your God is living among you in your midst and he is a mighty savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all your fears. I love that. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. God is right there in the midst of what you're going through. And the reason that we're given this comfort in the first place, this is something interesting that I personally never really caught in Scripture. Not that well, really. The reason that he gives us comfort is so that we can immediately give that comfort to other people. That we can have understanding. And I always just thought, God, I need you. Help me. Oh, good. It's all about me. Now I feel comfortable. 
But God is saying it's like the spiritual gifts. They're really given to you so that you can give it to someone else who needs it. They're not just for you alone. That would be selfish of us. That would be us hoarding the good stuff. We're supposed to give this comfort away. That hardship in your life ultimately is an opportunity for you to bless someone else. Why? Because God, I'm suffering. Help me. Boom, comfort comes. Awesome. Now what I expect you to do with that? Give it to someone else that's hurting. Anytime hardship comes in my life, I got to understand, God, you must want to bless someone around me because you're allowing me to do this because when that comfort comes, I'm going to be so blessed, I'm going to have to give that stuff away to someone else. So what an opportunity that we kind of change our perspective on this. And Paul is saying, hey, this is what happens to me. This is what I like to, to teach um, in our shape class, you know, when we do the everyone plays class, is that our experiences are good for us and that every scar tells a story. If you've been hurt before, right, and God has come along and you've got a wound and he heals it and it turns into a scar, your job now is to share the healing power of that scar in your life and to say, God could do the same for you. Scars are good because of reminders of the healing that came in our life, right? And I'm not just talking about physical scars. I'm talking about stuff of the heart, relationships, things that you've been through that you're like, man, I'm suffering. The comfort comes. The wound gets healed. You've got a scar there. Now you get to go tell other people, show them the scar. Hey, look, see this heart right here? It was cut wide open at one time. I see yours is cut open right there. Mine's healed. I want to offer you that same healing power that God brought to me in my life. Amen? The comfort is not just for you. It's so that you can give it away to other people. And then what he says at, towards the end of this is he goes, you know what? As you share in your, our sufferings, you will also share in the comfort that God gives. And I think he's making a real strong point here for the fact that any good team learns to share their wins as well as their losses. Don't they? It's like so fun to celebrate when you, yeah, we won the world title or we won this, we won the championship. That's cool, right? Olympics, think Olympics. The team rejoices together. We're watching it on TV. We're all excited because we represented our nation and we won together. But the, you gotta, what you got to understand is if you're a good team, that you share in the losses as well. And that sometimes you don't win. And sometimes you go home, you're the nation that lost the first round. And it's like, oh, but you know what you still got going for you? You still got the team. You still got the team. You can still win if you still have that team together. And Paul is saying, we ought to be a people that learns to, in the hard times, we share together. We share the sufferings of Jesus. We share together that life is hard. That way we can share when the victories come and we can celebrate together. Here's, here's the reason why Paul is saying, and he said this before, is that everybody needs somebody. Everybody needs someone else. It's a human need. We need one another. This church is so big on mini churches because mini church is the place where I can go when I can't share with all the people in this church. But I can go to mini church with my little group who knows me, who's praying for me, and I can admit, I fell this week. I screwed up. Man, I'm hurting. I, I messed up. And my mini church won't judge me, but they're there to share with me because they're team. And they just go, hey, we got you, Carl. It's okay. I, we're hurting. If you're hurting, we're hurting. Right? In the same way, when I come in, I go, God just taught me this awesome thing, and my life is so good that they're first ones to high-five me, hug me, to rejoice with me. But we have to go through life together. He says, share the sufferings as well as the, the comfort. And I believe it's share the losses as well as the wins. But here's the question. Who are you sharing your life with? Because we all agree that's a good thing you got to share. Some of us don't really have people in place. We don't have that team in our lives. It's we need to have those people in our lives where we can get real enough with to go, I'm broken, I'm screwed up, I'm hurt, people are doing this to me, whatever, and that you know that there's someone that's got your back. Paul is saying, have people in your life to share the sufferings as well as the comfort with. No one should go through life alone. I had an interesting uh, email, or was it a Facebook thing? Someone, someone hit me up this past week, and they just said, 
hey, uh, Pastor Carl, you don't know me. I'm the parent of someone that goes to your church. I live in the mainland, and you don't know me, and you know my son and daughter-in-law and family and all this stuff. I just want you to know that we are, from where we're at in the mainland, partnering with you, praying for your family, praying for your ministry, because we are thankful that God is moving in our kids' lives, and you're a part of it. And basically, what she was saying is, we're sharing in the victories, we're sharing in the sufferings. You don't even know me, but we're on the team. And you know what that did to just boost my my spirit and my 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 faith in God and in God's family. I don't even know this person, but she's saying, we're sharing the victories, we're sharing the sufferings, we got your back. We all need people like that in our lives. We can't go through life alone. And Paul's saying, make sure you got people to share with. Verse 8, he says, We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. And we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely on, only on God who raises the dead. If you have a highlighter, an underliner, or whatever, please underline that verse right there that says, as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and we, we learned to rely on God alone. That's heavy right there. If you can grasp that concept, you're set for life. If you can get to the point where you learn to rely on God alone, you are set. He says, and he did rescue us from the mortal danger, and he will rescue us again. We've placed our confidence in him, and he will continue to rescue us. And in fact, you are helping us by praying for us. Then many people will give thanks to God uh, because God has graciously answered so many prayers for our safety. See, here's what Paul is saying. I learned to rely on God alone. When we were being crushed, when people were persecuting us, when we were spending time in, this, in Asia, in this foreign land, and people were doing all of this, there's a point where, where Paul said, I was ready to throw it all in. I thought I was going to die. There was no hope in my life. And then I realized that all I had left was God and that God was enough. God was more than enough. And what he's saying is, I learned to, lie on, I learned to rely on God alone, meaning in my life sometimes, here's my temptation. God, I want to rely on you and my own wisdom. God, I want to rely on you and the money in my pocket to help meet the need that I'm going through right now. God, I want to rely on you and my good friends that I can rely on, they got my back. God, I want to rely on you and the control that I have in my own life, and I don't really want to completely let go, but I do want to rely on you and. See, we can't be doing the, I rely on God and. I rely on God and. What he's saying here is, you need to get to that place where God is all you got, and God then can step in. See, when you begin to stop and to let go, that's when God can actually begin in your life. Right? When you're at the place where I can't do anything else, God's going, it's about time. Get out of the way. I've been trying to get in there and work in your life, but you keep showing up in the way and blocking me from getting in there. When we get to that broken down place, I believe for every Christian to reach that level of maturity, you have to go through some of those really hard, broken down times where God is all you got. I pray this on every Christian. I don't pray hardship and all of that on people, but I pray that people could get to the point where they learn to rely only on God. Because God has broken me down several times in my life when I've been so devastated, crushed, and overwhelmed, like Paul is saying here, that I'm just like, just I could die right now, or maybe I'm going to, or I don't know how I can deal with this. And I, there, I can't rely on any of me, my control, my, my circumstances. All I got is God right now. There's the, some of the hardest times. There was a hard year in my life, 2006, when I lost two really good friends. And I always share this because it, it rattled me, but it grew me up. I lost two good friends that died before their time within two days of each other. 
and I had discipled them. I had baptized both of them. I was close friends with them, and God took them away. And I almost lost my faith over it. And it was one of those times where I'm like, God, I'm devastated. I don't know if I can go on. And later in that year, my daughter got this really appendicitis infection in her, right? Her appendix burst. We didn't know it for a couple days, which is deadly. The toxins were all in her body. She bloated up. She wasn't able to keep any food down. We thought it was just a stomach ache, and it was really bad. Usually, there was, there was people in the hospital when we went. They checked in, appendix removed. They were out, like, within 12 hours, right? It can go as quick as that. But here's my daughter in the hospital for a week, and in the middle of that sometime, she's all bloated, little six- or seven-year-old girl, bloated up, not even recognizable, all green and just like hooked up to all kinds of tubes. And in the middle of the night, one night, all the machines started going off, all the noises you never want to hear in a hospital, right? The monitors, all of that stuff. And I just started panicking, and I started freaking out. And we called the nurse. The nurse comes in, no help. She says, oh, uh, I'm going to call the doctor real fast. And it's like, oh, my gosh, she didn't even encourage us or help us. She just... She couldn't. She just said, I have to call your doctor. I have to call your doctor. And the nurses were coming in and doing different things. And I remember in the middle of that night feeling like Paul is saying right here, broken down to the point, i got to only trust on God. My money isn't going to help anything in this situation. My other people speaking kind words to me in this situation means zero to me right now. My control is of zero use. I cannot do anything. And I dropped to my knees on that dirty hospital room floor, right? Because we don't like to touch stuff in the hospital. It's kind of dirty, right? I, I don't even care. I'm broken down. I got nothing to lose. And I'm on my face and I'm just interceding and praying and realizing, God, you're all I got right now. You are absolutely all I have. My daughter could go right now and I don't know what to do. And you're all I got. And I got to that point and I just said, God, you do whatever you have to do. I trust you. And if the worst thing that I could imagine happens to me right now, you are still my God. You are still sovereign. You're still in control. And I will hold on to you and I'll follow you because you're all I got at this moment. No one else can help me right now. And sure enough, God came through and she got healed and the whole thing happened. But from that year of losing those two friends and me being so broken and just relying on God alone, I felt like my, my faith level, where my Christianity was at, just went times 10 or even more. And I really understood what it is to rely on God alone. So now I can rely on God in the easy times, right? Because I've had to rely on him in the hard times. And I would pray that you guys would get to that point in your life where you learn to just say, God, it's just you alone. Never mind my status, my friends, my money, my control. God, it's just got to be you alone. And that's where, where Paul took us to. Then he says, and you know what? Don't discount the power of prayer. He goes, you guys were helping me. He said it to his friends, right? You guys were helping because you were praying and God's going to do amazing things. James 5, 16. The prayer of a person living right with God is something powerful to be reckoned with. Remember the power of prayer. Make the power of prayer your go-to thing that you do when hardship comes. Not, well, I'm going to try to fix this myself. I got it. No, but whenever you hear a need or request, wherever you're at, not just at church, but in, in the mall or driving with someone in the car or on your phone or whatever, there's a hardship. There's something where someone's going through something. Pray first. Ask questions later. Right? Because the simple, easy habit of prayer, it's such an easy habit, but it yields such big results. Because it's not in your power as a little worthless human being. You're invoking the God of creation into the situation to do something big. So never discount the power of prayer. And then he, he goes with the last few verses in, in verse 12. We can say with confidence and a clear conscience, because he's talking about his conduct, his integrity. He's saying that we've lived lives with God-given holiness, or the word here is honesty and sincerity in all of our dealings. We've depended 
on God's grace, not on our own human wisdom. That is how we've conducted ourselves before the world and especially towards you. Really quick interjection. Here's an integrity check for your life. Are you the same person with the same heart and the same values at church as you are with your non-Christian friends, at work, at the mall, in class, with your family? There's an integrity check. Integrity and good character is who you are when no one's looking. It means you're the same person, as Paul is saying, that before the world and especially towards you other Christians. Are you the same person? That's how you know if you got integrity. I'm a good person a couple days of the week. No, no, to have true integrity is you're the same no matter what circumstance you're placed in. And it says, our letters have been straightforward. There's nothing written between the lines and nothing you can't understand. I hope someday you'll fully understand us, even if you don't understand us now. Then on that day when the Lord Jesus returns, you'll be proud of us in the same way that we are proud of you. Since I was so sure of your understanding and trust, I wanted to give you a double blessing by visiting you twice. First on my way to Macedonia, and again when I returned to Macedonia. Then you could send me on my way to, Ju to Judea. He was saying, I was planning on visiting you twice. What happened is he only visited once because it was a painful visit. He had to make a quick stop over there, and then he goes, I'm not coming back again because I'm just too rattled by it. I'm just going to write you another letter. In verse 17, he says, you may be asking why I changed my plan. There's people in Corinth that were criticizing him. Oh, Paul, you lied to us. You said you're going to visit twice. You never. What happened? He says, do you think I make plans carelessly? Do you think I'm like people of the world who say yes when they really mean no? As surely as God is faithful, my word to you does not waver between yes and no. For Christ Jesus, the Son of God, does not waver between yes and no. He is the one whom Silas, Timothy, and I preach to you. And as God's ultimate yes, he always does what he says. For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with the resounding yes. And through Christ, our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for his glory. That Christ's life and what he did was a great yes to God's promises for us. And when we say yes to Christ, we're saying yes to all the promises that God has for us. It is God who enables us along with you to stand firm for Christ. He's commissioned us and he has identified us as his own by placing the Holy Spirit in our hearts as a first installment that guarantees everything he has promised us. Paul is basically speaking of his own integrity. We've been straightforward. We've been honest. We've done nothing that you don't understand. We didn't, there was nothing to read between the lines. We promise we've lived our life with absolute integrity. And what he's calling us to is to live this life of integrity. The reason is your integrity can protect you. Your integrity will protect you. All of Paul's critics, he's facing down with saying this. Look, here's my life. I've lived it clean before you. What are you going to criticize on me? What are you going to do to me? I get bummed sometimes and I get worried sometimes when people gossip about me. When lies come against me or against my church and it bums me out and I start thinking, oh no, everybody's going to believe this about us. We're not like this. Oh God, it's all going to fall apart at the seams. You know what? I heard this sermon once that just said this. Keep living for God and outlast your critics. Because there's nothing beats, what do we always say? Actions speak louder than words. Nothing beats a godly life. Here's Paul going, you guys are criticizing me? Look at how I've lived my life. It's been right there in front of you with all honesty, with all openness. Here's how I live. You got something to say? Show me where I've done wrong. If we can get to the point where we realize my integrity is so important and if you live a godly life, even when you trip up and make a mistake, you just say, yep, I made a mistake. I own up to it, but God covers me. He's faithful. I've repented and I'm coming back at this. Then people will have no room in your life to criticize. Amen? It's a protection to us. It actually says in Proverbs 2.7, he stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. 1 Timothy 4.16 says, 
Keep a close watch on how you live and how you talk, your teaching. Stay true to what is right for the sake of your own salvation and the salvation of those who hear you. Jesus says to us in Matthew 5, 37, let your yes be yes and your no be no. You know what that means? Don't overpromise and underdeliver. Don't say things if you can't live up to what you're going to say. Keep your word. Hey, I'm going to meet you at 9 o'clock. You show up at 9.23. Oh, what happened? Not keeping your word. Be a person who knows exactly, look, I know I might be running late, so I'm going to be honest with you and tell you I'm probably going to show up late. But don't overpromise and underdeliver. Be a person that people can rely on in all that you do. Be people of your word. Um, and then it goes on and it says in verse 23, Now I call upon God as my witness that I'm telling the truth. The reason I didn't return to Corinth was to spare you from a severe rebuke. Integrity knows when to use emotions and when to use wisdom and when to go have a severe rebuke and when to kick back and say, I'm not going to come to you guys because a rebuke wouldn't be best for you right now. That's integrity. Knowing that you can be godly in all your choices, even when you're mad, when it's a righteous anger, when it's, when it's appropriate, and when you need to kick back and control your tongue, right? There's a cool uh, verse in Psalm 4, 4 in the New King James Version. It says this, Be angry and do not sin. Meditate within your heart on your bed and be still. See, there's a time for that severe rebuke, but there's a time when Psalm 4, 4 basically is saying, Calm down, zip your lip, shut up. Just take it easy. Calm down. Don't say anything that wouldn't be beneficial in this circumstance. There's times when you need to come in and you need to confront something that's going on and you need to let people have it in a godly way in love, but you need to say, what are you doing? You know, like, don't do this, right? And you need to, remember Jesus turned over the money, money changers' tables in the temple? How dare you treat my father's house into a den of thieves, right? But then there's times when Paul said, I spared you. I didn't want to come to you because I would have like gone too hard. And so Paul's integrity said, I'm going to just kick back and be quiet on this one. And he wrote a letter. He says, that doesn't mean that we want to dominate you by telling you how to put your faith into practice. But basically, we want to work together with you so that you will be full of joy. For it is by our own, your own faith that you stand firm. Integrity is understanding how to do what's best. And sometimes we need to calm down because the goal is we want to work together. How do you deal with conflict? When conflict arises in your life, are you quick to say, I want to be right, I want to put you in your place, I want to destroy you, I need to vent my anger at you? Or are you thinking, you know what, end result is I want everybody to get closer to God and there to be unity, and so I need to maybe right now, in this situation, keep my mouth shut and maybe wait till I calm down and then talk it through. But Paul had enough integrity to guard his emotions, to use wisdom, to realize we're working together in this thing called Christianity, this thing called the family of God. So I got to understand what is best for the family. So I'm not coming to you right now because I would just fly off the handle. So I'm going to kick back. I'm going to write a letter. Then I'm going to come to you a little bit later on. But Paul was very aware from a personal standpoint, the three things we talked about today. He knew his calling. He understood the comfort of God and that suffering was necessary, but comfort brought healing to other people. And thirdly, he was aware of godly conduct that it could protect him from all of his critics. Is that a good word this morning? Let's pray and let's get you out of here on this rainy Sunday morning. God, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for Paul. We thank you for the example that he was. And Lord God, we ask that we could um, model after this life that Paul is calling us to. Lord, the life that you've called us to live. Lord, I pray that people would begin to discover their calling in life that they would understand what it is that you've called them to do. Lord, I pray that you would reveal to them the comfort that is available in those hard times. Lord, I pray that we would all get to that point of learning the lesson, what it is to rely on you alone when things are really hard. 
Lord, and to understand that you are the only answer to all the hardship that we face in life. And that, Lord, when we receive that comfort, that we would share that with other people. And that, Father God, we would live lives of such godly conduct. Even when we blow it, and we mess up, we trip, we sin. Lord, that we would own up to that, we'd repent, Lord, so that we would be a good example to other people and that they would understand that, that we seek you first and foremost above everything else in our lives. Lord, help us to do that. And if there's anybody here this morning, you've never made a commitment to God, to Jesus Christ, to really being a Christian, I want to offer an opportunity right now. If you want to say yes to God and really all that he has in your life, I want to say a prayer with you. And what we're going to do is I'm going to pray out loud. You pray silently, but I want to know if you're here today and you want to pray that prayer. So if you want to pray that, you're going to join me in a minute. But I want you to let me know. Everyone's eyes are closed and heads are bowed. But if you want to say Jesus, yes to Jesus in a real way for the first time to be a Christian, just let me know when I count to three by raising your hand. And if I see you, then we'll pray together if that's you. If there's anybody here, one, two, three. Lift your hand if, I, if there's anybody in the room. I'm looking around if anybody needs to make that decision. I don't see anybody at the service. So God, we give you our lives. We give you this time. I pray that you would continue to challenge us and to spur us on, Father God, as we go out there and shine your light, Lord. Give us an incredible day today, rain or shine, Lord. We love you. We know you're in it. We started off in your word, so Lord, we're here, here to win and we're here to glorify you. Lord, bless us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.